in the beginning, there was nothing but Yogg. The primordial chaos, the swirling void of malice and madness that predates all. The six gods created the Earth as a prison to contain the evil and immensity of Yogg. Then they abandoned their creation and entrusted mortals with its care. But Yogg is patient. It awaits only the day when it will rupture the earth and plunge all creation into another eternity of terror and darkness. From its stronghold in the land of Yoveth, the Black Star enlists mortals towards its sinister ends. Those benighted souls who choose to serve who heed that dark calling, are the world's worst. Treacherous, wicked, ghoulish, and tortured. They are our heroes. All Hail Yogg is a D&D actual play evil campaign brought to you by the creators of Experience Points. In All Hail Yogg, our rotating cast of villains are the fell servants of a dark lord and must travel the realms of Undune to enact Yogg's evil upon the earth. This adventure is called The Instrument and will last about 10 episodes. When it's finished, there'll be a new adventure with a new party of villains. All Hail Yogg is also brought to you by our patrons. If you like the show, please consider joining our Patreon. You can find us at www.patreon.com slash xpwebseries. And now, on with the show. The adventure begins on the 42nd of Othson, year 896, in the Fourth Age of Ondoon. This is The Instrument, Episode 1. From high atop the cathedral... All the city is laid bare. The lateness of the hour has emptied the gables and belfries and flying buttresses and painted them all in the crimson colors of the failing sun. Encircling saints of stone cast cold gray judgment upon the lone penitent, a pilgrim seeking atonement atop the house of their silent god. Again and again cracks the flog. Flesh hangs in ragged strips, but the blood that spatters the stone and the knotted leather of the whips is not red, but radiant gold. With unerring aim, the flog lashes the same spot, the exact center of the back, perfectly placed between the kneeler's wide white wings. What is the angel's prayer? I am not worth your grace, your patience. You have entrusted me to guard the mortal faith so delicate and wayward, and I have tried, I have tried, 
I am humbly the steward to your king, and the masses are so thick with sin and greed, blinded by their selfishness, unable to see, to see. You must recognize what I am trying to do, to find the worthy, to find those deserving of your honor. They cannot simply be given glory. They must earn it through penance, blood, breath, and relentless sacrifice. All the cathedral, and indeed all creation, is silent in that moment. That space, the target for each punishing blow, is a brand, an eldritch star seared into the celestial's sacred flesh. When next the flog lands, that symbol explodes into vengeful green. The angel's head hangs as the black smoke comes to collect them. In the moment following the angel's departure, the last shaft of sunlight pierces through the stained glass and paints the belfry in prismatic beauty. Dusk finds the manor house still and secure. Wrought iron gates are shuttered against the night. Household guards, with their fine livery and their burnished steel, walk the grounds, vigilant for any sign of danger. Within the manse, a small army of servants, cooks, handmaids, and scullions, scurry about their nightly duties as quietly as they can. At the center of her stronghold, the Marquess reads by candlelight. Enthralled in a book, she rests easy, knowing that the night and its terrors are kept at bay by fire and stone, coin and steel. How could any threaten her here, within her inner sanctum, behind walls and gates and guards? How does the assassin reach her? We see a small shadow flit across the brick wall. Two guards slowly walking by. One stops, he thinks he sees a flicker from the lamp. He pauses, steadying each and every brick along the wall and slowly moves along. Desdonia peers at his back as he slowly gets smaller and smaller down the hallway. Creeping up the stairs, can't even tell what's Shadow and what's her. She slowly creeps from one room to the next, to the next, until finally, sneaking through one window into the master bedchamber, she sees her target. She slowly comes up behind and burnishes her favorite blade, ready yet another kill. At the precise moment that she raises her blade, there comes a sudden glow, brighter and blacker than any candlelight. A symbol, an eldritch star burnt into the assassin's lower back, shines a sinister green. It billows with thick smoke that shrouds the murderess and her unbloodied blade. At her scream, guards pour into the room and surround the stunned Marquess, swords in hand. The smoke, however, simply disperses to reveal an empty bedchamber, as though the assassin was nothing more than a bad dream. 
in a lavish studio on the tenth floor of a buttressed spire in the garment district of an unholy city, their molders a heap of bones. A single spotlight illuminates the charnel hill like a gruesome monument, as ghastly and random as a mass grave. A short distance away stands a single skeletal figure, considering the sight with an appraising socket. For a long moment, the studio is frozen in tableau. Then, with a slow motion, the skeletal figure takes hold of a chain that dangles perhaps a foot away from his shoulder. He takes the briefest of pauses, his cranium cocked to the side, before he pulls. What happens when he pulls the chain? As though like poured from a chute miles above, bones just begin to clatter down onto the, our, the huge pile. And he kind of like gives it a couple of seconds and like keeps the chain down and then lets go of it and then the bones stop. And he sort of walks around, makes like a picture frame with his thumb and forefinger of both hands and gets it from different angles. You know, there's a couple of little like quick shots where he's like on the floor and then when he's on top of the bones. And then he goes back and he pulls the chain couple of times, bones of course pour down, clattering, and then he pulls one more time and then there's, he's like shocked, it's like too much. There's like a pelvis out of place and he like makes for the hill of bones to go like adjust it. As though weary of his indecision, the symbol carved on the back of the skeleton's skull, an eldritch star, flares viridian. The smoke it disgorges soon vanishes the skeleton, still contemplating the hill of bones with an inexplicable air of dissatisfaction in his frame. Once the smoke has dissipated, a few stray bones dislodge and tumble to the stone floor with a percussion of hollow thunks. In a packed opera house, in a particular viewing box where he was, in fact, warned against sitting. One of the city's most prominent opera critics is frowning. He checks the program. He checks the time. He even checks his pulse to ensure he hasn't somehow died and gone to the underworld. Then, seemingly from nowhere, someone whispers in his ear. In a trance, the critic stands from his seat and, groping at a world that only he can see, steps forward to tumble from the viewing box and down onto the stage below. He lands with a wet sound, impaled through the heart by one of the sharpened spikes that rings the opera's scenery. The audience shrieks in terror at the sight, but the show is only beginning. What happens on stage? The particular scene that was going on when he fell from the box was a ballet. And the dancers are all dressed in these black spiky tutus with black spikes coming from their shoulders and these big headdresses. And as he like falls and people start to shriek, they just sort of collapse onto the stage in like almost as though it was designed for them to fall that way. And the audience is shrieking and there's this maniacal laughter begins to just like echo throughout the entire opera house. 
and a shadow starts to be cast against the backdrop. And it's this potentially female outline, arms raised in triumph, huge horns curling up from her head and just laughing and laughing maniacally like as he bleeds out on the uh, stage and the uh, audience begins to flee in terror. From the outstretched hands of the floating phantasm, there comes a scintilla of green as the symbol scrawled across those fingers. An eldritch star flashes once. Curtains of black smoke sweep across the figure, obscuring her from sight. For many moments, the audience sits, stunned and silenced by the bloodshed before them, and the only sound in all the opera house is the dying (laughs) echo of demonic laughter. The four of you, then, appear in four fountains of black flame at precisely the same time in precisely the same location. At this point, I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, you have all at least once been summoned, some of you many, many times, into the inner sanctum of Yogg. But the location in which you appear is not the normal location. This is a new location. So it is a pinnacle of stone, as you're used to. You can see the stone is all the exact same kind of... You're obviously in Yoggoth. It's that black and green, twisted, sort of tortured rock. But if you think about that scene in Fellowship of the Ring where Gandalf is up on top of Isengard, that's basically where you guys are. You're on the top of one of these things. Whereas before you were inside with a big bay window, you're on the roof. You're way higher than you were before. And you can see, like, these big, horrible, jagged, like, horns each kind of sticking out from each side of this spire. But otherwise, you just had this panoramic view of all the world around you. You can see the land of Yoggoth laid out in every direction. There's brooding mountains, and there are licentious cities. You see the city of Zal Umbros, the city of Zal Necros, all spread out before you. You see an enormous fissure that almost envelops all the way around this spire, this huge open chasm that's just roiling and hissing with the black and green essence of Yogg. You can see you know, clouds of smoke all up above you and kind of obscuring the sky, except immediately above the spire that you're on, there is basically an opening, sort of like the eye of a hurricane. And you can see the kind of the pale glint of distant stars sort of like peeking down as though they've never, they haven't seen Yoggoth in hundreds of years. Like what's going on down there, right? Like the distant eyes of the gods. And the wind is whipping as you're standing up here. It's almost as though it's a hurricane kind of like lashing around the top of this tower. And one after another, the four of you appear. I am Kate. I am playing Agnemont. And they look pretty much how they always look, just sort of in like a basic sort of shroud with their, their, wing, their wings out. A little more haggard than normal. Probably their hair isn't braided quite so much as it used to be. I think it's been a little reclusive. And well, you were also just like, I, so I feel like yeah, it's just I'm, I'm the like blood. Kind of, like, I'm kind of still bloody. I don't know if I look more terrifying or, or just weaker <laughs> somehow, so depending on, but I don't look great. Not wearing um, the armor, right? Just kind of in your smock. Yeah, yeah just in the in the now stained smock. But um, I, I do the thing right. I, I don't really like land so much as I'm just like kind of slightly hovering a little bit yeah. over the ground. Just <laughs> I'll probably do like one cursory, like unmoving, like no head movement. Pivot. Turn yeah, <laughs> around to be like, ah, yes. Drinking it in. Great. When do you do that? I have a, I'm curious. About, like, are your wings kind of like slowly beating a little bit to keep you afloat? Or do you just hover? Like, what do you, what do you imagine? Because I kind of like that it's like really subtle movements of your wings that keep you up. But it's, it's yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's very slight. But, um, but yeah, just like, it's, 
It's a little kind of bit. like has a nice feel to it. Yeah, so like right, it, uh-huh. it would feel comforting if I just didn't look so horrifying. It's also it's like the neutral pose of a character in a fighting game, right? Yeah, like you have yeah. Kind of yeah. Back yeah. and forth it's right, like a like, little relaxing uh, in a way. Yeah, yeah. undulation. Cool. Mm-hmm. I like that. So you are in one corner, Egma, and then appearing opposite you in the across from you on the other side is. <laughs> um, hey guys, I'm Heather. I play Desdemonia Malice. She is a succubus, um, long jet black hair. Uh, she technically has studded leather armor on, but she just looks like she's naked all the time. Yeah, because <laughs> she can be. Yeah, she can be. <laughs> red Sonia. It's the Red Sonia armor design. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The best defense is a good distraction, guys. Right. <laughs> Firm believer in that strategy. <laughs> oh wait, let me put my shirt back on. Sorry. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Heather, please. Free time. Well, I guess you can't see this, but Heather is. <laughs> She's in costume for sure. That's a different kind of game. But yeah, it's a method, guys. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so black hair, yep. studded leather. Mm-hmm. Anything little new or teamings. interesting? Um, not really. No, she looks about the same. It's. I mean, it's been a while, but she's a bit ageless, so she hasn't changed at all. Yeah, right. Just just still very demonic looking. Super demonic. Yeah. <laughs> Super evil. Yep. Uh, what does she do when she first lands? Um, when she first lands, she lets out this absolutely awful, frustrated... Because she sees her least favorite little thing over in the other corner. I'll and... do the sign of no at you. <laughs> yeah, right, the, like, the, the blessing. Yeah. The blessing. Yeah, perfect. Great. Which is and... just basically a giant middle finger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the religious yeah, equivalent of a middle finger. Yeah. <laughs> and she is just far too frustrated that she didn't get yeah, she to kill yeah. anyone. <laughs> you you like worked for hours to sneak so in. Like you, that, that, that was the candy at the end, right? Was I like, get to murder somebody? And yeah. then no, no murder. Murder blue balls right now. Yeah, so bad. Sure. So bad. Right. So you got pacing. You're frustrated. Like oh, oh much. great. Do you um, still have the knife in your hand? I absolutely do. I kind of like clang it against the yeah. spire the first. Stone, I was just yeah, like so frustrated. Awesome. And you're so still, right? And then Desmond is just like a tiger in a cage. I want to pounce at you, but I'm not. <laughs> so then behind Agnema and sort of diagonal from Desdemonia appears in a fountain of black flame. My name's Alan. I play Ernst, who's a lich wizard. And uh, yeah, you, he's a very tall human skeleton. I think he's not wearing any clothes. Oh. But you don't need to. Right. You know, he, he was in his private studio and, you know, you don't need to. Yeah. <laughs> You just mean au naturel yeah, on there. Natural. And I mean, you don't have any, like, bits to cover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so no, not trying good. to impress anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to get cold. Yeah. Um, I think people would react about the same to a naked skeleton as to a clothed one. Right, yeah. Which is the irony that, you know. You're trying to, like, expose. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. yeah man. It's all, and, your work is all about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he, like, when he shows up in the black cloud, he's like, yeah, damn it. He just kind of realizes he's no longer, right. you know, able to address this problem. Um, uh, and then he kind of looks around. He's like, "Oh, shit. but it's not the same yog room." No, this is you're up on on the roof, basically. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And who am I closest to? You are behind Agnema, and you are diagonal to uh, Desmonia. We're about to introduce the other character, but you would be next to them. Okay. You're equidistant from everybody. Though. I go like I'm going to tap you on the shoulder, but then I think like we can continue yeah, yeah, you, like, if you move want. To tap, and Agnema like, slowly me? turning <laughs> around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And then across from Ernst, and in the final uh, Fountain of Black Flame, like, technically they all happen at the same time, but like, what, come on, we can't have you all talk at come once. On. I mean, insane. <laughs> in the last Fountain of Black Flame appears... My name is Hallie, and I'm going to be playing Phantasmagoria. Phantasmagoria. Um, so she is... So she is female. Yeah. <laughs> she is very extra. Yeah. So I think in this appearance, so she appears in a black velvet gown 
again, clearly like a female figure, average height. It's and the it's this like very nice like drapey material and has these swirly green like flame designs coming up from the bottom. Huge long like dagged sleeves that sweep on the floor. Big spiky headdress uh, like ruff coming out from the back of uh, behind her head. But the main thing you would notice about her is that she has a mask over her face or over the upper part of her face, shaped like this exaggerated like theatrical skull. Uh, just the upper part, like her, you can see that she's obviously mortal underneath it. Her mouth is free. I think you see the teeth are a little pointed, though, right? Yeah. yeah. They're not exactly human teeth. Right. Yeah. Not exactly. You can see her eyes underneath it, but it's this, like, big skull um, face. And then she has these huge white horns coming up from her head that go out and then sort of in and then back out like a lyre shape. But these are huge and impractical. Yeah, they're like, just like ridiculous. Like, like Loki horns, right? Like, huge, yeah. like why even? Yeah. She And it's not quite clear if they're part of the mask or if they're part of her head. But yeah. It's, it's very, it's very, like the whole thing is very sort of Amidala, like Met Gala. Uh-huh. Like, like huge, this, impractical, yeah. like opera Like costume. she's only about average height, but with the horns, she's, it's probably like seven feet. Just this like <laughs> right. enormous. Wearing huge heels and, too and, and stuff. And, yeah. yeah. As she stands there, like she just sort of naturally assumes this like, as though she's going to burst into an aria, like pose. <laughs> like chest forward. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Has perfect posture. It's absolutely ready to go. Do you do anything else? You just stand and wait? Or? I think, I think she looks around and like, it's as though she this this was her cue. She came in right on right yeah, the on cue. The spotlight hits you, right? and then the wind like <laughs> flaps her sleeves back, and she just <laughs> looks around, waiting for someone to begin the uh, next movement. Excellent. Four of you appear. You're pacing around angrily. You're kind of spinning. I think Ernst, your <laughs> action resolves. You go over to tap Agnima on the shoulder. Excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, are we? Is this? Are you here for Yog? <laughs> <laughs> the thing said 7.15, I'm a little early. <laughs> Is this where we line up? Or? Are you here for yard? <laughs> uh, this, I mean, deeply, profoundly into that. <laughs> How do you respond, Agnon? <laughs> oh my god. Uh, I'll probably stare blankly at you, Ernst, for a minute, and then just say, I am here for me. <laughs> I like it. Th- okay. okay. Cool. And I'll just keep spinning. Cool. Just, <laughs> just like on a, on a slow steps season. backwards. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Naked skeleton just shuffling back. Yeah, great. So as always with Yogg, you are always summoned about five to ten minutes before Yogg sort of fashionably late arrives. So besides this, what does the what do the four villains get up to while you wait for Yogg to make their appearance? I think I'm apprising you, like with mm. my gaze, just sort of arrogantly, like looking you each up and down. Testimonia's like... coming at you. Yeah. She's not going to be violent about it, but she's <laughs> very curious because this very extravagant thing just appeared in the corner. Right, yeah. <laughs> so she's, I'm going to come at you. The blade's still in hand, but not like sure. at you. Not like in your throat or right. anything. Like, like, I'm just like stabbing you. Stirring you. <laughs> your guts like a soup, you know, nothing like that. <laughs> I think she like keeps her safe distance, but she kind of like circles around you at sure. maybe like a four foot radius just sure. to kind of check out everything that's going on because those horns are real interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I'm just kind of like watching you. I assume you know who I am. Not quite. 
the I, dunes news. You can make history if you'd like, or you could not. Yeah, oh, that's fine. Or you could not. Or you could not. You don't care, you yeah. not. Maybe I'm just too frustrated. Well, I mean, that was really good, actually. Mod 20. Mod 20. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of hard to, to not know about this, uh, this particular figure. Phantasmagoria. You would have heard rumors. Uh, they are not a figure that sort of lives. I imagine you live in Yoggoth, mm -hmm. right? Um, they're not really a Yoggothic figure in the sense that they're here, but they're very well known in Yoggoth. In the city of Thorpe, which is a huge, massive metropolis that covers kind of one half of two continents, there is this, it's like the only place in the world they have opera, this like very obscure form of theater. And there is basically this one, people kind of whisper that she has ties to Yogg, this one composer <laughs> who is known for her very scandalous performances. I don't know if there's yeah, anything else you want to add to that. She's like as close, like... As close to like Yagath high society as you can be, but she specifically does not live in Yagath. She lives mm. in this place of high culture where opera can, you know, can be perfected. Um, yeah, I don't know uh, if you would be at all like spend much time <laughs> thinking about the theater, but uh, but I feel like you know you've done infiltration missions mm -hmm. in the Thorpe before. Mm -hmm. You've at least exactly. heard the name whispered around. And, yeah. yeah, here she yeah. is. So I am familiar with you then. Sadly, never seen, but I've heard great things of your work. If you were a servant of Yogg, I could see to it that you receive an invitation. I would not be opposed. Any friend of Yogg's is a friend of mine. Well, I can get you some sweet comps. You want some comps? I'll comp your ass. <laughs> like, I'll get you on any yeah, list. You, you, you gotta go like, like through the underground river. Right. You know, you'll get in. It's fine. It's like a river of sticks will take you there. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Uh, um, I just give her a slight appreciative nod and I'm calming down a little bit. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. And your name is? I'm Desdemonia. And I'm like apprising you, like, like, I could work with this. <laughs> Right. She looks like a demon. I. I mean, like, add some frills, some like rhinestones over here. Like, yeah, you could, you could, you could do it. Great, Agnama. So you have rebuffed Ernst. <laughs> so I probably do like another sweeping look towards everybody. Phantasmagoria, Desdemony. I probably look at you and then keep turning, and then I'll just kind of station myself looking out at the vista and kind of like do the thing that birds do where they like bring their wings sort of oh, in yeah. front of them. Mm -hmm. cool. So I like specifically will look at Desdemonia and then turn my back on you. <laughs> and then it's like mutual. fold my wings around me and just have shade for sure. hang out. Right. Uh, Ernst. You, you two are talking. You're talking. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Like, oh, excuse me, are you, are, am I in the right place? <laughs> and there's just like a swirling fucking oh, vortex yeah. of like <laughs> going over yeah. I, uh, um, I'm so sorry. I don't want to interrupt. Give me guys. It's the first, like, the only the second time my Eldritch symbol has gone off, and yeah. I, I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. I've never been on this floor yeah. before. <laughs> I, no, you're not. Like, I don't. I, I've been looking for the wrong office. How do you know? And you are? I'm Ernst. Uh, Ernst. Uh, just Ernst. Uh, pleasure. Uh, do I need to roll history to see if um, I know who yeah, these people are? You guys can definitely roll history. Yeah, um, I, I might know I will you. give you advantage, Desdemonia. You live in Yoggoth. Okay. Cool. Yep. No, I'm still. Uh, don't care. Oh, actually, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I got a six, I got a sixteen. Okay. Cool. So I think you know basically what uh, I described to Desdemonia about Phantasmagoria. I don't mm -hmm. think I don't feel like your character is very famous, right? I think that's kind of the opposite no, of what you I are. I shouldn't be. So nobody, you don't, you have no idea who this is. Mm -hmm. Do you want to describe for them what they might know if they succeed? I think you guys both succeeded, Ryan. I got a six. Okay. So you have never heard of this guy. I'm on twenty though. Yeah. I, I probably yeah, know you. Ernst is a is a fashion designer uh, and uh, specializes in like fashion for skeletons and zombies and the undead. He does like living people stuff too, but it's not his like passion. When right? he needs money, he'll just yeah. Sure. Yeah, take a contract. yeah, the yeah, market's yeah. huge, but the work is really not inspiring. <laughs> um, and, yeah, he's just like a, you know, like a man about town in Yagath, you know, he's like a so socialite, 
lich, you know. Kind of an Andy Warhol figure, right? Like a little always, bit, sure. yeah. Always doing like controversial stuff, yeah. Yeah, kind of kind of artsy, sort yeah. of, okay. you know. Avant-garde. A little punk, maybe, I don't know. Okay, um, yeah, I like that. I've considered directing the fools who run my theater to uh, engage you. I'm working on a skeletal symphony, oh. and I would like to make the ballet dancers look <laughs> as, Ooh, as dead as possible. Have you considered using skeletons? See, I don't know. I don't know how, like, how the unions would feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> when you say the unions, the, the like, clouds above, as though summoned, there is a bolt of green lightning that shoots down from above you and strikes the the tower, kind of the base of the tower, right in the middle between the four of you. You're all kind of like, oh, scoot back. I and golf clap at the time. There's a little like, yeah. <laughs> right. like, the word union seems like. Don't say union. Blast the center of the tower. Local sixty six will come back. <laughs> and it suddenly reveals like from this like flash of green and white this figure. There is a ten-year-old elven girl standing in your presence. She is wearing this dress that is just like dripping off with these like long sort of green, almost look like your spikes, these like long sort of spider fangs, green and black coming all the way down, super tight against her body and like coming up and like almost piercing through this like the skin of her chin, these spikes in every direction. She sort of stands there. You do almost look like you were costumed yeah. by the same person, right? <laughs> Ten years old, elven girl, her hair is like up and in, in this tortured, horrible up to her kind of revealing her ears. Her eyes are completely devoid of pupils. There's no pupils in them whatsoever. But you can see that instead of that, it has basically this swirling black and green void, exactly sort of the same image of the fissure of Yogg that's all around you. And she stands there and the black, black smoke kind of roils all around her. Uh, I just immediately sink into a like perfect curtsy, like all the way down to the ground. The headdress <laughs> like folds down so you almost can't see For sure. yeah. my face. What does the rest of the group do? I'll do a polite bow little of the nod, head. Little nod. Okay, great. Yeah, it's totally prostrate, forehead on the floor. <laughs> yeah. All the way down. Doesn't matter. She gets closer than anyone else. She's about five feet away and just kind of gives like a curt little nod. Sure. Cool. Mm -hmm. When she speaks, her voice is full of this deep, dark, horrible, twisted, subterranean voice, the actual voice of Yogg, laid underneath sort of this soft, feeble, almost uh, robotic voice of this 10-year-old this girl. When she speaks too, you see that on her forehead, which is bare, uh, every time she opens her mouth, the symbol, like the sigil of y'all kind of flashes in green on her forehead. And she says, in her strange two-toned voice, There is an instrument lost to the ages. Wherever it may be found, you will find it and deliver it onto Yog. Thanks for listening to All Hail Yogg. If you like the show, please consider writing us a review on iTunes. It's really the best way to steer new ears towards the podcast. We would really appreciate it. All Hail Yogg is an Experience Points production. It was directed and dungeon mastered by Timothy J. Meyer. Agna Maw was played by Kate Enge at IMI Don Quixote on Twitter. Desdemonia was played by Heather Lore at Land of Lore on Instagram. Ernst was played by Alan Walton at AlanBW on Instagram. Phantasmagoria was played by Hallie Clausen at Lady of Ways on Twitter. You can find the show on Twitter at 
XP web series. Our audio engineer was Tim Alvarez. The game was played using the Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition rule set, as owned by Wizards of the Coast. The main titles are A Night on Bald Mountain by Modest Mazorski, performed by the Skidmore College Orchestra. Additional music includes The Dante Symphony by Franz Liszt, performed by the Berlin Philharmonic. Dies Irae, performed by the Scola Antiqua. Symphony No. 5 in D minor by Dmitry Shostakovich, performed by the DuPage Symphony Orchestra. Danse Macabre by Camille Sansans, performed by the National Philharmonic Orchestra. Toccata and Fugue in D minor by Johann Sebastian Bach, as performed by organist Hans Kostner. We claim no rights on any music used. Thanks for listening, and yog before all.